grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the one who is infinite. You are eternal. You are free and not compelled by anything outside of your own being. Your will to do all things is unhindered or inhibited by anything else, by your creation, by us, or anything else. And so you are the great and mighty God who is over us all. You are glorious in your holiness. You are full of love and compassion. You judge and condemn our sin, and yet you redeem us through Jesus Christ. And so your works everywhere praise you, and your glory is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And therefore, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we praise you, blessed and holy Trinity, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 101, Come Thou Almighty King. Jesus Christ, the grace of God, has appeared bringing salvation and teaching us to renounce impiety and to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who were zealous for good deeds. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to Almighty God. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, who receives your people into such wonderful communion that being united in your Son by faith, 
they should dwell in him and he in them. We who have sinned against you, approaching your presence and beholding your glory, repent of our transgressions. We have sinned, we have grievously sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have dishonored your holy name. Most merciful Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, forgive us all our sins, deliver us by your Holy Spirit from all uncleanness, enable us freely to forgive others as we pray that you will forgive us and to serve you from this day forward in newness of life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of Christ, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled, we are saved by his life. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. And we say in response, praise be to God. Saints of the living God, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So said Jesus Christ as he taught his disciples during his ministry here on earth. And we've received his word, and we too are to uh, follow um, in the way that God has shown us through Jesus Christ, which is to love even those who are our enemies. Of course, Christ gave his life for sinners and for those who had turned against God, which is everyone. And he gave his life to redeem us and to bring us back to God. And so we are to exhibit that kind of love and forgiveness to even those who are our enemies. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. And let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 554, From Depths of Woe I Raise to Thee.
Let us come to our Heavenly Father with our prayers and petitions. Let us pray. Most gracious and everlasting Father, you understand us because you are our creator and you understand your creation. Just like the artist forms his work, so you have formed us. And you have taken up our life in this world in your Son, Jesus Christ, who added to his glory our humanity and our fallen humanity at that, in order that he might transform it and redeem it. He suffered as we have suffered. He hungered as we have hungered. He took upon himself the weight of our sinful existence. And now he has raised us up into new life, filling us with your Holy Spirit. So hear our prayers now as those who have been brought before you through Jesus Christ. And we pray for the church and for this world full of sin and unbelief. Lord God Almighty, we pray for the leaders of this country. We wish them well but that they demonstrate integrity and honesty, decency, that they would defend what is right and true, 
and that they would not try to control the church. Grant to Joe Biden, our president, wisdom, humility, and diligence. Create honorable intentions and respectful dialogue among our leaders. Bless our courts and police to enforce justice and to treat all people with the dignity of being created in your image. And we pray that with the upcoming election, you would give us good leaders. Hear our prayers. We pray for peace in this world. May the violence and war in Ukraine and Israel and Palestine be ended and lasting solutions to the problems be found. And we pray for those who have much to have compassion on those with little, be they weak or poor or ill. May we share our abundance with those in need, bearing witness to your Son, Jesus Christ, who shall return and restore justice and harmony to this world. Hear our prayers for those in need. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would not let one member of the body of Christ be lost. We know there are those who drift away. We pray that you would bring your people back. May all your beloved people in Christ hear your word and be kept in the faith that you have given to the church. Hear our prayers for those Christians we know who are struggling. And we do pray for the church, whether it may be in some strange land, strange to us anyway, places we've never heard of, or in very busy modern cities like Montevideo, Uruguay. We pray for the churches that have been in certain locations for more than a thousand years, and those who may be different, or that may be different from us in many ways, but that still confess the one faith in Christ and are your people. As the church also bears the marks of the crucified Christ, we pray for those who are suffering. We pray for the church in the Middle East, and the Christians in Ukraine, and Hiro Hakobor, our missionary, and also the Christians in Nigeria. We remember the churches in our presbytery also, including Hillsdale OPC and their pastor, Everett Hennis. Hear our prayers for the church. Loving God, we thank you that you have sustained Providence Church, this congregation, as we follow Christ. Grant us your strength and grace to live in this world. We do pray for those in need, for Eduardo and Fawn and Jeff, for Frida, for Tammy and her family, for our friends Becky and Karen, for Tammy's friend Kara, for Kay, for Joyce's friend Ben, for Angie and Tom and Phil and Candace's uh, mother Barbara, <clears throat> for Jane and others, <clears throat> we name to you in silence. May they be well cared for. May their needs be turned into strength by your grace and their sorrow into joy. And if they are at the end of their life, we pray that you keep them in Christ, even if they do not know what is going on. To you, the most holy God, our prayers ascend, for we make them in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have condescended to us, um, coming to us in your word, in your son. We pray now that you would open our hearts, our minds to receive your word, not only to understand, but to trust deeply in our hearts and to, um, to enjoy, to rest in your goodness and your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is in First Samuel. Chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerolam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives, 
The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the Lord and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away, went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. 
Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child, child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Our Psalter response is in the bulletin. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Our epistle reading is in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now we turn to our gospel reading in Luke, the first chapter of Luke, beginning in first, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both 
righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the house at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked, upon, looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> One of our biblical mothers is Hannah. There are others like Sarah and Leah, Rachel, Elizabeth, and Mary. The book of 1 Samuel is a story of a transforming moment in the history of Israel, and it begins with Hannah. In the Hebrew Bible, 1 and 2 Samuel are one book. Originally, they were written on one scroll. The Greek translation of the Hebrew book of Samuel, which was first done, um, some of the early Greek translations were in the 2nd century before Christ, that translation um, divided the books into two because the Greek uses many more words for its translation than the Hebrew, um, original Hebrew does. So the translation did not fit very well into one book, so the Greek translation turns it into First and Second Samuel. But originally in the Hebrew writing, it was one book. Originally also, the book of Samuel followed right after the book of Judges. 
so it would have been Joshua, Judges, Samuel. The Christian version of the Old Testament moved Ruth after Judges because she's the great-grandmother of David, and she's honored in the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So the Christians, when they um, worked with the Old Testament, moved Ruth um, right after Judges. But even so, 1 Samuel still follows the book of Judges, even with Ruth kind of in there as a, as a little uh, break in between the two. The book of Judges presents a very bleak picture of Israel. At this point in time, Israel was a cultural and moral mess. Israel was politically weak. Other nations dominated Israel. By the end of the book of Judges, the Philistines controlled Israel. The Philistines captured Israel's judge, Samson, and he died pulling the pillars down on the temple of Dagon in the Philistine city of Gaza. But this didn't stop the Philistines. There was an alliance among the Philistine kings. There were five kings in different Philistine cities, and they had an alliance together. And they had well-organized armies, and they had plenty of weapons. They continued to rule over Israel into the days of Hannah. Israel was a community pushed to the side. They, their voice did not matter. They had no influence. They were weak and easily exploited. The Philistines would send out raiding parties and steal the grain and the tools of the Israelites. Israel was also in moral and brutally violent chaos. We learn this at the very end of the book of Judges. The last stories of Judges tell of the tribes of Israel churned against each other. One of these is about a Levite, a member of the priestly tribe of Israel, who was traveling in Israel with his concubine in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. And in one of the cities, Gibeah, the people violently attacked the concubine. The Levite appealed to the other tribes to avenge the wrong done to him, and they came together and attacked the tribe of Benjamin with a very great slaughter. Idolatry had also become common in Israel. The book of Judges says the people of Israel were creating their own idols and worship. In another story at the end of Judges, a man made a metal image with 1,100 pieces of silver that his mother gave him. He built a shrine for it, and he hired a Levite to be his personal priest at the shrine with the idol. Later, men from the tribe of Dan came and took the Levite priest and, his, and the idol and relocated them to Dan and set it up there. And this is all while there was the house of God. The tabernacle had been sort of permanently set in Shiloh. But all this is going on in some of the other tribes and cities of Israel. The tribes competed with each other in their idolatry. When we come to the end of the book of Judges, there are no leaders in Israel. After Samson's death, the book of Judges finishes out with no more judges. All along, the judges of Israel were independent of each other. They were only temporary, and they were for particular crises. And so God would raise up a judge and, and deal with that crisis, and then that time would, would pass, and Israel would would fall back into another crisis, and God would raise up another judge. But by the time you get to Samson, after Samson, there are no more um, historical rulers or no historical dynasty in Israel. By the end of the book of Judges, even the likes of Samson, Gideon, Jephthah, Barak, and Deborah are absent. 
The book of Judges concludes with the tribes of Israel fighting with each other, brutally attacking each other. They're disconnected, they're politically weak, economically disadvantaged, and they're in moral and religious chaos. The last line of the book of Judges concludes this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel had no leaders because the people had sinned and the leaders were unfaithful. For Israel, it was a time of bitter, confused, uncertain waiting. What would happen to them? And was God doing anything? Now, in 1 Samuel, Hannah embodied the condition of Israel. Hannah was married to a good man. His name was Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives, which was an early custom in Israel, before marriage between one woman and one man became an established practice. Of course, that had been established by God, but it wasn't necessarily a followed practice, at least not everywhere in Israel. And so there were, there were these times, these uh, certain situations where a man might have two wives. Our story tells us that Elkanah loved Hannah very much. The problem was that Hannah had no children. And in Israel, that wasn't just a social stigma, it was a dead end. Children meant that the family line would continue. And that's why the law of God stipulated that if a husband died, his brothers were to fulfill the husband's responsibility to make sure that that man's wife had children to continue the family. It was called a leveret marriage. Deuteronomy says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife's the the husband's brother, um, the wife's the brothers of the husband's wife shall go into her and take her as his wife, and the first son whom she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And so God stipulated in the law a way for a, a wife who had no children, her husband dies, to able to, to be able to continue the family line. With children, Israel could see that it had a future. But Hannah was barren. She had no children. There was no future in sight for her. It seemed that she was abandoned. God had forgotten her. Or worse, God had given up on her. And to make matters worse, Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, liked to take jabs at Hannah for being barren. Verse 6 in our reading from 1 Samuel says, Peninnah used to provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her because God had closed her womb. Peninnah acted as Hannah's rival. Our husband loves me more than you because I have children. God cares for me more than you because he has not given you any children. And of course, we can all see that that was very mean and cruel. It also underlined the fact that Hannah had been pushed to the side. She was irrelevant. She had no future. She was hopeless. Elkanah tried to comfort Hannah, his wife. He told her that he loved her. And at the sacred feast, the family would go once a year to a sacred feast. He gave her double portions of the meat from the feast. However, none of this made up for Hannah's hopelessness. She did not eat. She was depressed. And she grieved. Hannah waited and waited in grief and uncertainty. God had shut down her future. What was going to happen to her? A day came when Elkanah took his family to Shiloh, where the tabernacle of the Lord had been set in place. 
Eli was the priest there, and he had a seat next to the doorpost, or next to the entranceway to the tabernacle. And he saw the family at the tabernacle. Hannah went in, and she began to pray. She prayed what is known as a lament. Laments are the most common type of psalm in the Psalter, in the collection of psalms in the Bible. They were the kind of prayers that Israel prayed when they knew they were powerless and their only help was God. Laments express deep sorrow and grief. And one of those was our Psalter reading this morning, Psalm 13. It begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Now, laments often include vows, and then they usually switch to praise, but not before they air their complaint. So a lament airs its complaint. It might have a vow in it, probably does have a vow in it, and then it ends with praise. So Hannah prayed her lament to God. Verse 8 says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Even though her grief was bitter, she had faith in God. She prayed, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will touch his head. That's verse 11. She believed God could transform her barrenness. She believed that only God could give her a future. Her faith remained even when the priest Eli chastised her. He saw her lips moving, but no sound coming out of her mouth, and he thought she was drunk. He said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Isn't that odd? The priest, it's odd that the priest would think someone in the tabernacle moving their lips was drunk. It was the tabernacle. It was a place of prayer. He should have assumed that she was praying. And that tells you something about Eli, that he was lacking in his priestly role. Nevertheless, Hannah's faith was not diminished. She said to him with great respect, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I have been uttering my lament to the Lord. Eli turned his rebuke into a blessing, and as a priest of the Lord, he said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Now, this was no mere wish you well. This was a priestly blessing. It echoed the high priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6, which says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then it ends, so shall the priests put my name, says the Lord, upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Eli now was functioning as a priest. Before that, he was derelict in his duty as a priest, but now he's functioning as a priest. This blessing invoked the word of the Lord. God was the one who promised to give peace to faithful Israel. Eli spoke this word to Hannah, and she believed the word of the Lord. God heard her prayer. And Hannah bore a child. The child was a son whom Hannah named Samuel, which literally means heard of God, heard of God. But the scripture gives us Hannah's intent, I have asked for him of the Lord. So Hannah was faithful and God was faithful and he gave her a son. Hannah and her son are clearly important characters in the story, but the main subject is God. All the way through there is God. 
It's easy to make God secondary in the story of Hannah. So much is said about her and her hopelessness turned into joy with the birth of a son. However, God is at the center of each scene, and he's in action. He's acting in each scene. Allow me to show that to you. The first scene of the story is Hannah's vexation in her family and their feast at the tabernacle at Shiloh. In the midst of it all, we are told that the Lord had closed her womb in verse 5. Now that sounds harsh, but we must keep what the Lord does in the context of what happened to Israel. Israel had turned away from God. The last line of Judges said, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And as I told you before, Israel was in moral, social, political, and religious chaos because the people had turned away from God. There was no future for those, there is no future for those who do this. Consequently, God made Israel barren, and he made Hannah barren, which shows Israel's barrenness. And by doing this, God revealed that Israel was not faithful. And furthermore, God revealed that Israel was powerless to transform its barrenness and give itself a future, just as Hannah could not produce a child. The second scene puts Hannah at the tabernacle praying with Eli the priest nearby. She prays to the Lord because the Lord has committed himself to Israel. The Lord is the Lord of Israel. Eli pronounces the blessing of God on Hannah because God wills to bless his people. And at this point in the story, Eli says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. And the Lord made Hannah barren, which reflects the hopelessness without God, but it's God's will to bless his barren people, and that is made clear in that scene there at the tabernacle. The next scene is short. It's verses 19 through 20, but it's pivotal to the story. Again, the Lord is central in it. We are told the Lord remembered her. Now, this isn't about God's memory, as if God was, could be absent-minded. This is about God's fidelity. God had made a promise to Abraham that through his descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And God had committed himself to Israel with the covenant in Mount Sinai. God's remembering was a way of saying that he was faithful to his promise. God was faithful, and that's why he gave Hannah a son. Because of his faithfulness, God was at work turning the barrenness into a new life. In the last scene, the Lord is at the center again. Here, Elkanah and Hannah go up to the Lord's house in Shiloh, and Hannah fulfills her vow and gives her son to the Lord. Hannah says, the Lord has granted me my petition, verse 27. The Lord heard her prayer. The one she asked for is the one given by God, and so Hannah gives him to God. There's a a really interesting wordplay going on there in the Hebrew that really can't be translated into English, but that's kind of an attempt at it. The one she asked for is the one given by God, and so Hannah gives him to God. Throughout the story, God is in action. God's action is the resolution to the problem. God's action brings a birth to barrenness. God's action brings assurance to Hannah's lament. It was God's action that gave Hannah and Israel a future. Now, this is exactly what we find with the birth of John John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus Christ, except that it's magnified immensely. The Gospel of Luke tells the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth was barren. But the angel of the Lord appeared to her husband Zechariah and told him that his wife would have a son. 
The angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And the angel declared, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The Lord was bringing new life for this barren world, and John would prepare the way for it. That life was another baby, Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ is the future of a barren world. God is also the principal subject of the story of the birth of John the Baptist. God was acting all along in this world, even in its barrenness. From Adam and Eve to Abraham and Sarah, from Israel to Hannah and Samuel, to Elizabeth and Zechariah, to Mary and Jesus, and his transforming power is still at work today. His power is not always obvious. Sometimes it's inexplicable, like giving a son to a barren woman, or sending the Savior of the world as a baby born of a virgin. Nevertheless, it is God's transforming power, and it is relentless. There is a barrenness without God. Human society becomes barren without God. And secular societies today show that they have a people problem. Today, in European, American, and Chinese societies, people are choosing not to have children. After years of enforcing a one-child policy, China now wants its women to have more babies to prevent a demographic crisis. But in general, women in China are not doing it. Furthermore, the number of marriages in China sank to a record low in 2022. There's a... a, a, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, Business Insider. It's a website or a, um, a media. Um, it's not really a magazine, but it's a media magazine. And it interviewed some Chinese women about why they're not having children. This is what some of them said. One lady who's 29 said, I wouldn't choose to spend a part of my income on children because it's expensive. The biggest thing on my mind right now is how I'm going to fund my retirement. I feel like with my current level of income, I can't comfortably retire anytime soon. She's 29, by the way. Another woman explained, there's so much to explore in this world, so much to do in this short, very short life that I don't see myself taking on the responsibility of having children. Now, the president of China, President Xi, has said, uh, said China needs to actively cultivate a new culture of marriage and childbearing. In some of the nations of Europe, the population is at a negative growth rate. So there are more people dying than being born. Even in the United States, the number of births has been shrinking, and it is getting close, closer to a net loss of population rather than a net gain. The only thing that has helped Europe and is actually uh, increasing the population in the United States is, are the immigrants coming in. The barrenness of secular society also shows up with a strong sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness. What's the point of living... If you have a debilitating disease, you can't enjoy the, the good things in, in life right now. And so what's the point of continuing to live? There's a, a, a famous atheist philosopher from the early 20th century, Bertrand Russell, who said what many have come to believe, that what man loves and believes are but the outcome of accidental collections of atoms. All the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. 
the future is squelched with this popular belief. There might be immediate goals. We can have our instant gratification and, and find ways to enjoy life in a very momentary way, but it all comes to a dead end. The church is to point people to a future for us with God, a future that doesn't just die out. God creates the future for us with Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead in victory and power. And so the church must point people to Jesus. But what if the church becomes barren? What if it begins to do what is right in its own eyes or the eyes of our culture? What if leaders are worthless and have no regard for the Lord? What if it adopts the idolatries of this world and stops pointing people to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, the one of whom the gospel says, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's a future. The church often comes off as barren today. Its leaders take on the dead-end trends of our secular society, such as performing gay marriages or approving of abortion and euthanasia. Its worship is focused on ourselves rather than God, and it's filled with the emptiness of our culture. When the church stops worshiping the triune God who created us and redeemed us in Christ, it becomes irrelevant. And an irrelevant church is a barren church. On top of that, we are told that the church is disappearing from secular society. It's getting smaller. Fewer people are members of churches. Churches are closing left and right. Today, it looks hopeless for the church. And it would be except for God. God remembers, as the scripture says, the transforming power of God is at work in every scene of the church, and it's at work in the church today. That which is barren, God makes pregnant. God's power is at work in the church today in inexplicable ways. And God's transforming power is at work in this church, in Providence. He makes for us a future and he gives us hope. What we're to do is to believe that God's transforming power is at work in our barrenness. We're to imitate Hannah, who believed God could give her a child. And also we're to pray. Hannah poured out her lament to God and asked the Lord to look upon her affliction and remember her. And we're to do the same. Believe the word of God and pray, because God's power cannot be stopped, and he gives us a future in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Remember, O Lord, what you have done in us through Jesus Christ, and not what we deserve. And as you have called us and your whole church to your service, make us worthy of your calling. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith, express what we believe with the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, 
who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. His kingdom shall have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, having heard the word of God, is our insert, Savior of the Nations, Come. Apostle to the church, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the Lord's table. He invites us to feast with him. Those who come to this holy meal promise to trust and love and obey him as the Lord of every realm of life, as the Lord who gives us a future, and to live in love and concern for each other. It's my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ and our communicant members 
of a Christian church to come to this, the Lord's table. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. It is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You brought all things into being and you called them good. And from the dust of the earth you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, you, your love remained steadfast. When the rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights, you bore up the ark of the waters and saved Noah and his family and established an everlasting covenant with every living creature upon the earth. When you delivered us from slavery and made us your covenant people, you led Moses to your mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and instructed us. You led us through the wilderness and fed us manna for 40 years and brought us to the promised land. When we forsook your covenant, you led your prophet Elijah to your mountain, where as he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, your word came to him. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join that song in heaven. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. When you gave him to save us from our sin, your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights in preparation for his ministry. When he suffered and died on a cross for our sin, you raised him to life and presented him alive to the apostles during 40 days and exalted him at your right hand. And by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you brought forth your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water in the Spirit. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. And we proclaim that mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Now, O oh Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Gather us here at this table so that our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup may be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and remember Christ's body given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we give you eternal praise and thanks that through your holy gospel and sacrament you have again offered and presented to us your most precious treasure, the true bread of heaven and food of eternal life, our Lord Jesus Christ. We heartily ask you to grant that we may receive him and partake of him in true faith now and forever and that we would be nourished by his flesh and blood, that we may be set free from all evil and increase daily in all goodness to your glory. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The final hymn is number 30, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past.
face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated, and uh, good morning to you all. Um, I don't have a, uh, a ton of things to add other than uh, directing your attention to the Life Together um, insert. Um, so this is, uh, I believe this Friday is um, our, uh, one of our annual, or not annual, but monthly uh, ministries at the Oakland County Jail. Um, the, the fourth Friday of the month is typically led by Terry Benjamin and Adam Estella, uh, so please be in prayer for their time there. Um, we also um, have uh, just ongoing things, uh, so Christian education um, this morning after a couple of uh, weeks hiatus, um, and uh, also the Thursday night Bible study is ongoing. Um, as a reminder, in case you or in case you missed it last week, we are um, inverting uh, or moving the fellowship meal for March to the second uh, Sunday in March, um, and the reason is that we will be having uh, Mike McCabe, who's our, one of our missionaries to China, will be speaking uh, on uh, the first Sunday of the month during our Christian education time. So please, if you can, make time to to be there and see. Um, uh, just hear a presentation from one of those those names we hear so often, and uh, and maybe we don't know a whole lot about what they're doing. Uh, so a chance to enjoy that. Um, anything that you just, want to add? Just to add on to that, um, if there's somebody who'd be willing to host him for for a meal, since we're not having a meal here, if somebody could have lunch or do something for him for lunch, um, that would be appreciated. He's preaching at Oakland Hills. I don't know if it's, I think it's in the evening, so he's going to be here and then run over there. Um, there's also a, an outside chance, I don't think it's likely, but that he need, will need a place to stay that night if Oakland Hills can't come up with something. But I think Oakland Hills will. But think about that, and if you're willing, you can offer, and, and we're just ready for it if it comes. But definitely lunch. If somebody um, would like to have him over, take him out, um, please let me know. All right, and uh, then just a couple of uh, perhaps overdue things. So we do, we do not uh, charge fines for the church library, but I see that uh, there are some church library books that are being sought. Um, so perhaps check your shelves for anything that, uh, that may have been a, a long ago borrow. Um, and then I'm assuming as long as the baby bottle boomerang announcement continues to appear, we will continue to grab. They're all present and accounted? Wow. Good job, team. Well done. Um, anything else from the floor? All right. Well, then enjoy some coffee and fellowship, and uh, Christian education will begin shortly.